0: Guess who, and guess what? Footy Prime is launching a gin, and we're having a party to celebrate. Thursday, June 6th, join the whole FP crew for Footy Prime's one-night stand at Nickel Nine Distillery in Toronto. Come celebrate Footy Prime's one-ball gin with Nickel Nine Distillery mixologists on hand, Charmin's Proper Pies, meet-and-greet and and photo ops with your favorite primers, and a live Atsuka's Almost Anything podcast. Footy Prime's one-night stand, June 6th at 7pm till when we kick you out. Tickets at eventbrite.ca. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix.
3: You're listening to
0: Footy Prime News and Such, your one-stop destination for footy news and such. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix.
3: Welcome to News and Such on Footy Prime, the almost, almost daily podcast. James Sharman here alongside Brendan Dunlop, Craig Forrest, and Jimmy Brennan. Today, we're going to name this one the "The Mino Royale is still alive podcast because <laughs> he's apparently still alive. Last time I saw the, the strangest story yesterday, which kind of duplicated a story from a few few months ago now that he'd died. He's, he's very sick, apparently, is a super agent. Um, so we we hope he does well. Hope, hope he'll be okay. But it was so odd that for a while there, the Twitterverse went nuts, fellas, that this guy had died. And Erling Haaland and Paul Pogba are thinking, oh, Christ, what does that mean for me? I'm, I'm moving to a big club, a bigger club, bigger club this summer. And my boy is no longer with us, but thankfully he is still with us at time of recording. But it got me thinking, let's talk some agencies, agents, that side of the business today. Um, I'm a bit concerned because the guy we have on is a former teammate of Jimmy Brennan. Um, <laughs> we'll get into that, I'm sure. That was at Southampton. He also played at Leicester and Norwich. And currently he's a player liaison at Rio Ferdinand's New Era Global Sports Management Darren Kenton joins us. Darren, welcome to Footy Prime.
4: Thank you, Fabio.
3: So, okay, there's, there's so much to get into this the, this side of the game. Um, it's controversial, but obviously it's necessary. Approaching the end of the season, though, um, w- when you have your clients looking for new clubs or wh- whatever it is, how busy is the agency at this point in the season, with what a month or so left?
4: It's started to pick up already. I mean, um, obviously we're under pressure to try and find new new clients who could take the agency to another level but as it is like retain release for the youngsters all the players coming up to the end of their contracts the senior players like it, it's a, such a busy period for everyone
3: so you right now you're, you're working a number of things but one of them is is working with the boot manufacturers apparel and, and the players right so yep. i always I wonder how much money is there in boots for players. Obviously top top level is different to some guy further down the chain there. But is is it good
4: money in that? It's it's massively lucrative. I mean, like we've we, we when I was at Norwich as coach at Norwich we had an under fourteen and you're not allowed to actually pay uh, players players underage. I think it's under under eighteen or something like that. But what how they got around it was they were giving him like three hundred pounds a month on a store card. You can go and use in any Adidas shop. So you know, they're they're starting to pay technically pay players from the age of fourteen. So you can imagine what the senior players like Cristiano Ronaldo, whoever who like that sort of money, they'll be getting astronomical fees. Mm-hmm.
3: They're not getting like yeah, Ronaldo's not getting a a card for you know from a store. <laughs> <laughs> cold hard cash, right? Yeah, but actually,
4: that's like Adidas th- are paying like three hundred pound a month to a kid. You know, over three thousand pounds a year it, It's it's good going
0: but he still has to use it in the store though
4: yeah but if if I was there, it might be like straight in the store buy up all the gear then take it onto eBay and sell it straight off <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> you could be smart about it right hey, Craig tells stories about how he used to paint the the Addy stripes and the boots that's one of his jobs when he first went over to England is that is that the case anymore or are these just kids getting nice fresh new boots all the time and don't need to paint the stripes on?
4: <laughs> like the, these kids are getting like, you know, four, five, six pairs of boots a season and you know, these are two hundred and fifty, three hundred pound pairs of boots. Like it's ridiculous how much they cost now, but they don't have to do the sort of jobs that we're to do when we as apprentices. Like like they barely have to clear their dressing room. Like they don't <laughs> have to do the like, the players' boots and stuff like that. It's ridiculous.
2: I no, always no. thought that I always thought Darren that it was always a, you know, as much as it was a cheap labor for clubs, uh, it was it was good for you know, for players actually that don't make it, you know, to have a little yeah. bit of discipline that way and work ethic and things like that, I, as opposed to just you know being a star player and then getting released and trying to find their way in life.
4: Yeah, I appreciated everything I got because of the work I had to do before I was a professional, but yeah. then that. That sort of set me up. When I finished playing football, I was like, oh, "I don't really want to play uh, coach football if I can't if I can't play it." So I stepped away and I was doing personal training. And I realised what it's like to do an actual real job. Like you sometimes getting in at six o'clock and I'm not leaving till ten o'clock at night. And it's, obviously then I just had a baby as well. It was it was hard work. But I think that sort of work ethic was instilled in me because of what they they made us do when we were apprentices. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Kent, what, what was your job that you had to do? I had to clean the away dressing room. I obviously had my, my pro, and I had to polish his boots. And for some yeah. reason, the guy would never let me into the first team dress room. I had to knock <laughs> on the door. He'd go, who is it? And I'd be like, it's, it's Brennan. Just throw my boots in. Don't clean. <laughs> Okay. Um, so then,
4: he, then he would throw them back out if they weren't clean enough. They, <laughs> they, they rotated it around in our first year, so you, you could be on uh, balls, bibs, and Discs, so that means you had to go set the pitches up, uh, clean the first team dressing room, clean the apprentices dressing room. But then in my second year, we had balls, bibs, and discs for the whole season, so that meant moving all the goals from pitch one to pitch six. Obviously, having to pump up all the balls if they were they weren't uh, to the right. to the to the liking you know, of the professionals they'd be smashing them into the field behind and stuff so it was it, it was kind of brutal especially in mid when it was freezing it was pitch black and trying to find all these balls in this field it wasn't great
3: <laughs> times change right times yeah, change
4: absolutely do, do mean, you find like, that
3: now when, when you're dealing with the kids now the younger players like, do you just find that their mindset is so different to when you guys were coming through
4: well, I mean, I didn't know what a hamstring was when I was 18. Like these kids are going down, like seeing the physio. Oh yeah, my hamstring's a bit tight. When they're under 11s, so I'm like, really? You should. <laughs> 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 sorry, sorry, but I'm not having that from a kid. Like, but some of them, you know, they, they, all they want to do is cry off and see the physio. But I'm not telling them to get up. I had one kid who. Actually told to get up after a tackle when he was injured for eight months, so that one didn't go down too great with the parents. But <laughs> it's, it, it, you can imagine that they, you know, it, it's when, when, when we was I mean, youth team. I remember when I was at South. I told me if you can run in it, you're fit, and I ended up being injured for five months myself off off of his advice. So times have changed a little bit.
3: Now, now we'll get more into the agent side of things in a bit, but I have to ask you. You mentioned Southampton there. You were teammates with Jimmy Brennan. Um, of course. How bad a teammate was he to, to the rest of the, the mates there? I,
4: I had a promising career till I met Jimmy. Like, <laughs> it, it, it sort of went downhill after that.
2: Yeah, me
3: too. That, come,
4: that comes up. That comes up a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. He introduced me to quite a few bars that I didn't know about myself in Southampton, <laughs> <laughs> and Beautiful. he. Uh, he, there was one time where he took me to the horse race, and I actually nearly passed out at a restaurant because of. To say it's something that he gave me is look, it was, it was, a, it was a, like one of those snooze things, and I, I actually nearly threw up in the middle of a restaurant because of what he gave
1: me. It's nice, <laughs> <used to laughs> it. it, no, right? So it's it's Swedish tobacco, right? And I think our whole team at Southampton was was doing. It. Yeah, we had a lot of, a lot of, in a of Scandinavians. in uh, yeah. and our captain. Uh, what's his name? Klaus. Klaus. Klaus uh, yeah, he was huge in it. I mean, I, I don't even think I've, I saw him once without a snus in his mouth. And I remember I remember at times when George Burley would be coming in to talk <laughs> at halftime, and he'd be looking around the dressing room, <laughs> and everybody's got tobacco in their top lip. <laughs> but then Kent goes like that one time. We were at the horse races, and he's like... He's like, Jimmy, give me, give me a snus. And I was like, Kents, man. I said, no. I said, you, you won't like it. And he goes, no, just let me try it. And I'm like, Kents, I'm telling you now, man, said, you're not going to like it. <laughs> well, you've never seen a guy turn green so quickly. <laughs> you <laughs> swallowed was, it, didn't you? He was just sitting there <laughs> and drifting off. It was like, yeah, this out-of-body experience, I was dying.
3: <laughs> I didn't know that chew was a Scandinavian thing.
1: I have yeah. no clue. Well, it's, well I didn't it's know it was football a, thing. It's steamed tobacco.
4: Yeah, it's it's coming. Like a lot of players are doing it now. Really, like, really? You see, I think you see like David Vardy coming out of like the England camp, like with a snooze packet in his hand.
2: Oh,
3: so I didn't know just, that. So they get the kick without having to smoke, basically. So it's, yeah, like, pretty it's, much. It's, it's yeah. acceptable. Jeez. Yeah, yes. you, get, you
2: get mouth cancer instead of lung cancer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Lungs <laughs> are fine, but your mouth's fucked. They <laughs> <laughs> always kick it? off your chin off. Yeah. <laughs> but Jamie Vardy
0: doesn't strike me as the guy that's thinking about you know a Sky Sports desk job after
4: no, he's, right. uh, he's definitely got a face for radio that <laughs> he'd
0: be great on talk sport yeah I'd listen
3: to him <laughs> for sure but does Rio chew
4: no
2: no I can't <laughs> about that much <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. He, he might do a, a few other see. things but he doesn't chew
3: <laughs> tell us about New Era, can you? Um, obviously, you know, Rio's a big part of this. Um, yeah. um, you've got some big names there, of course. So when, how did it start? I mean, I know he's got, there's a production wing, of course, and his five magazine has kind of yeah. evolved into this as well.
4: Uh, well how, so how did I come aboard?
3: Yeah, yeah, and just New Era so, in general.
4: So Rio, like, before he was at West Ham, he was at Norwich. So we was together at, like, under 12s for about, like, six months or something. So I've known him since then. And he, uh, I hadn't seen him obviously in a few years and he came come into the Norwich training ground and I was a coach there. He said, you know, just obviously exchange your numbers again. And he said, oh, if, if you ever want to come on board, you know, just let me know. So obviously when I left Norwich, he's taking me on there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's 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 good because it's a lot of ex-players. You've got obviously Danny Gavin on there, uh, Rio's brother, obviously Jamie, who's a, one of the CEOs. He's an ex-player as well. Pete was an ex-player. Um, you've got I think we're we're um we've got a few managers like um Chris Wilder, uh obviously got Robbie Savage who does like BT sport. So we've got quite a few people who should know a little bit about football. How long has it been around New Era? Uh to my knowledge it's about twelve years. I think um mm-hmm. it started out as a property thing. So like uh, Jamie started selling some properties to the England team, and that's where he met Rio. Uh, they come, uh, friends like that. Then Rio come aboard the agency probably about five, six years ago, I think.
3: Mm. Now, there's obviously a lot of new rules coming aboard or being you know, positioned around agents and that. And you're working towards your license right now. You're a player liaison, but I've been reading a lot of articles about this 10% cap on commissions from transfers and 3% cap on commissions and salaries. I don't think it's ratified just yet but i mean is, is this game going to change moving forward because at the moment you know when you, every time you open the paper there's some story about the agent's fees yeah and how it's just not good enough and all this i mean what, what's your take on all this
4: <laughs> i think there should be some sort of cap because you know i know the transfer where um you know the deal was only 18 million pounds but the agent got four million pounds out of the, out of the transfer i mean that's that's kind of ridiculous, but I don't think you'll ever get it out of the game completely. They'll just probably word it in a different way when it comes to their payments and stuff like that. There's, I don't think they'll ever be able to actually get it out. Where you know, with, when you've got people like um, Riota, who's probably picking up ridiculous amounts of transfer fees from, from his agents, uh, from his clients, you're you're never going to be able to get it out of the game.
0: Rolex gift cards.
4: Absolutely, yeah. They'll, they'll, just, they'll just do it another way. I mean, this, yeah, like. Right. You're never going to get it out completely. But, but I mean, but op- these guys,
3: these—I mean, the top guys, the the Barnets and the Rayolas and and the Mendezes—they have so much power um, that they want to see an end to FIFA. Uh, some of these guys, um, and do you think this, such a it, bad thing? Yeah, yeah I know what I was going to say that might not be a bad thing. But do you see that that side of the game changing in the, in the coming years? Um, with the agents having so much power, you know, influencing the clubs, influencing the players at the expense of maybe the traditional governing body.
4: Well, if you if you look at like someone like Man United, who you know, fifteen twenty years ago, they they were probably the biggest team in the world. Like like they they could bully anyone into doing anything. And now, when you've got an agent that can dictate to a club like Man United what they want to do with a player, that that that's where I think things are wrong. So, there shouldn't ever be anyone or any individual that's actually bigger than like a, an organization like a club. So, that that has to change. I think that at some point they they've got to say right. You know, rules are changing. You have to stick to this to get this transfer through and stop all this, you know, it's pretty much monopoly of all the top players with all the top agents.
3: I mean, maybe it's changed. I don't know. I mean, Craig, maybe Jimmy can talk about this as well. But nowadays, an agent is more than just a guy who's trying to, you know, procure a transfer for his client and get the best money for his client, right? You guys have to, like, manage these these kids almost yeah. every facet of their life. Is that...
4: Changed? so when when I was a player, I'd literally only hear from my agent every like two two or three years when my contract was coming up but nowadays you have to like um, sort out their pretty much their whole life, so it all their focus is on just playing football so we we at new era we've obviously got the uh, social media side of the team we've got the legal side of the team obviously myself as a player liaison I'll be sort of the go to day to day sort of guy and then the agents will still keep in contact and still go and watch the games and give them feedback on, on their performances, but they're not as, as active as what they were probably 15, 20 years ago.
1: I think no. I think that's got something to do with with how much money is involved in the game as well. And if you've got a good talent, and you've seen guys when we were younger as well, guys would leave agents left, right, and center and go with somebody different, somebody new, whereas I think now the agents are starting to realize they've got to make more effort with the players now, right? And like Kent was saying, you, you would never hear your, from your agent until your contract was up or something was some, somebody was interested in you. Whereas now I think you've, you've got to pay a lot of attention to, to these players because you want to keep them on the books because those are, those are the guys that are going to make you money.
3: Is it about building their brand as well? I mean, as, mu- as much as it is you know, the best contract as a footballer, you mentioned there the social media teams, the guys now they, they want to be told how to build their brand and it almost goes beyond football.
4: Yeah, like what I said, with the social media side, we, we've got people that will put out uh, their posts at certain times and stuff like that. So it, it engages with the right amount of people and stuff like that. So everything is solely about just trying to keep the focus on the football field because the outside distractions are a lot different to when we was playing. Like, you know, Facebook hadn't even come in when, when I was playing and stuff like that. So, like, these kids now, the first thing they do is soon they get in the dressing room straight on social media. So you've got to make sure they put it out the right things at the right times. Otherwise people, you know, I mean, was it, uh, Johnny Lescott a few, couple of seasons back when he put out a post about his new car. I'm like, really, you know, <laughs> you know people don't really want to be seeing that sort of stuff, especially if it's like a hundred thousand pound car. Like you can't be putting that out to someone who just paid like 50, 60 pounds just to go and watch you play and play terribly. So mm-hmm. certain things you have to do at, at, at certain times. And it's right about just trying to keep the focus.
2: Yeah, Darren, player how, player how are you player player finding, Darren? Against. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, uh, Darren. I was going to ask you, uh, you. You deal with managers as well. One of the major issues in in uh, in football and coaching is uh, the opportunities for black players, uh, foreign black players, uh, to get into coaching, and the lack of head coaches along the whole professional system of ninety two clubs. I don't even know how many there are right now. Maybe four, five. Yeah. You there's, know, there's
4: it, it, I mean, I mean, in the Premier League, you've only got um, Vieira. Um, then, then you're struggling like further down the leagues to see how many there are. I mean, the part of the reason why I, I wanted to step away from coaching. I mean, I'd gone through the whole process of getting my, you know, my my level two, my my B license, my A license, my uh, youth modules. Then there's like, there's there's no progression. Like there's there's no way because like I've had people come in from who were below me, haven't really shown anything different, rather than being really friendly with the, with a boss. and so then. Suddenly he's been promoted in front of me, I'm like, well, you know I have so you know i I'd like twelve years including my, all my junior years playing for one club, and yet this they can't sort of give me a sort of lift up into the other age groups It just doesn't seem fair to me, and you just kind of think what's the point like you're up against it all the time, so it doesn't matter what your ability is if your face doesn't fit mm. in a certain club, you're never going to progress."
2: And that's discouraging for other players or other, you know, black players to get involved because it's like, why bother? Like why why yeah. go through all this effort when I'm just going to be overlooked anyway?
4: Yeah. that I just thought I'd set back. And I was like, you know, the, the guy who, who was my boss, I probably shouldn't really say this, the guy who's my boss. Like he brought in his mate who he used to work with at his previous club. This guy couldn't get a job as a an under 12 coach at like a, Macclesfield Town or something like that and yet he's come in as head of coaching like the the guy they got rid of who was a head of coaching was teaching Frank Lampard on his pro license but he's not good enough to be our head of coaching at Norwich but, and then this guy who two years ago well, actually had the same qualification as and he's, he's meant to be teaching me but yeah. that, that's that's what football is and it's, it always will be an old mate's game yeah,
3: yeah. it's who you know right it's it's yeah. really sad does it do you feel jaded in that regard you know that you felt forced I, out of coaching
4: I just got, it got to a point where I just didn't want to go into work. It's like I don't want to see these people. Like everyone wants to kiss up to the manager's ass. I'm I'm not that's not me at all. <laughs> that's probably where my downfall was when it came to my professional career. I always had like an opinion or something. But like if, if this guy's like cracking jokes and it's not funny, I just sit there and think, Why? What yeah. why why is everyone laughing? Like it's not funny. You don't have to kiss up to the manager's ass because he seems to think he's some you know, a few stages better than you. Yeah.
3: So, so when you start repping players for contracts, when you get your your license as an agent, and you're going to be sitting in a room with a manager, that that I'm same love manager it. maybe I'm yeah, love it. <laughs> Yeah, you are right. You can feel like you know in the position of power, right, of leverage.
4: This is where I start rub my hands. Down. Right, remember that few years ago. This is where I get my payback right now.
3: <laughs> Damn right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, darren i got a social media question and to go back to that you talk about you know how there's a kind of a department for that so do you have um social media coordinators like that actually work with the client to manage the account is every kind of uh, you know account different and how do the players react when they're told look uh, we want to have control over your social media accounts because if you just go off the handle here um there can be some trouble
4: well you obviously have to explain to certain part of it is you know you don't you don't want whoever contacting one of your clients through social media saying oh how's your agent doing or oh, maybe we should talk to sort of thing. but you, you, you want to try and keep them away from certain things but a lot of it's about making sure you, you you there's there's so many instances with players who have put stuff out three four five years ago and forgot about it then it comes up as soon as they start doing well and people want to start bringing them down it's like well you they were a hero last week just because they'd done something five six years ago. Why, why, why are you like judging them now? Like, so it's all about trying to make sure their brand is built to, to the right levels and not trying to make sure that they have anything that can come back to them and haunt them in a few years' time.
3: I guess it goes both ways. In some regards, the kids nowadays coming in and are already socially media savvy, right? They've been doing that, they've grown up with it, it's been their yeah. life, as opposed to the older players discovering it like perhaps we would have done and then making mistakes at the same time. Some twelve-year-old kid puts out some stupid ass tweet about something ten years ago now, yeah. and now it's been it's been held against him now, and he's twenty-two. I mean, I do yeah. have sympathy for those guys.
4: Yeah, look, uh, we've all done stupid things when we we're kids that, that you, you want you regret. Like, you can't judge someone when they're that young; they're not thinking straight. Like, they might they might be just doing things just to impress their friends and stuff like that. They don't truly believe some of the stuff they're putting out, so you have got to make sure that. You can't just scold them for something they've done in the past. You've got to make sure that going forward, this is how you're meant to do your social media.
3: So, Darren, you're going for your license. Um, when do you hope to have that? What's the, what's the timeline here for yourself?
4: There's, it, there's no rush. I mean, probably just get within the next two years. They haven't actually come out with the rule that you have to have your license again. Um, pretty much anyone can be an agent. Like it, it, I think there used to be like a rule where you had to do some agent exam, pay like a hundred thousand pound bonus bond or something, and then you get your license. Uh, they they got rid of that. And then I think the, the market flooded with agents, and it's sort of ridiculous now. Like people turn it up saying another an agent, then even got a website sort of thing. So, but nowadays I think going forward they're going to try to bring agents exam in, so it re- reels a few people in.
3: Right. So good cash grab as well, right? <laughs>
4: I'm hoping. I'm hoping it is. Yeah.
3: Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, listen, Darren, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we'll get some more some more dirt on Jimmy at some point, I'm sure. Um I Absolutely. don't think any of us are surprised that he did lead you down the wrong path. Um he's yeah. trying to do the same for us right now as well. So uh
1: <laughs> He he did he did say I was the best left back you ever played with. Yeah. I didn't was hear he, it was, before that. Yeah. Was that before it was the snoops or after it? <laughs> or was that yours, of Somebody said I was.
3: <laughs> actually, well, Garrett, it, actually wasn't it wasn't me. What, was, was Jimmy, like when, when, when Gareth Bale took Jimmy's job, like was that that piss off the rest of the club and was it unfair in your eyes?
4: I, I think it was warranted at the time. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Think, be fair, when, when Gareth was coming through, like he obviously, he trained, with us a few times. So I was like, oh, really? Like he he was okay, but to see how he's he's developed over the years, it's, it's been amazing. Like he's he's he was a top top kid as well. Him and Theo obviously coming through at the same time, right? Um, they they've gone on and done really well and, and good on them. Like they've done, they've earned it.
1: Yeah, imagine how I felt, right? When I'm sitting with George Burley and he's going, I thought he, I thought he did very well, but I got this young kid coming through, and I was like Gareth Bale, come on. <laughs> Didn't rate him, right? You didn't rate him either back then. He was good. He's got he big ears. That. His ears are way out yeah. here. What That's the hell cool. is going on?
0: That's why you guys didn't rate him because he didn't look the part. <laughs> yeah. His golf
1: games come a long way as well, from what I understand yeah. from well, the we, days we had, as well. Kent, we had Nathan Dyer as well
4: coming through. Like that that uh, that group was eight, unbelievable. That under 18s team, they had I think probably about nine of them went on and had a really good career, including those two. So you had Leon Best that went to uh, Newcastle. Yeah. Um, De- Dexter Blackstock went to Forrest yeah. and QPR. Um, Simon Gillette went on to Doncaster, I think. Andrew Sermon played for Bournemouth and Norwich. Yeah. Uh, all, all these, uh, uh, Matt Mills went to Man City. All he's playing is from one one age group, one under-18. was really Theo unusual.
3: Was Theo that age group? Was that
4: his? So Fee, yeah, Theo was, I think he was like the year below, but obviously he was getting pushed on at the time, yeah, he so he was he's playing under-18. That's
1: right.
4: Yeah, the, see, the academy
1: yeah, there is unbelievable.
4: Unbelievable. When I see
1: Theo,
3: the when I see Theo and he's like in his mid-30s now. It makes me feel really frigging odd. Oh, it's it's
1: yeah. crazy.
4: Right? I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he actually done as well as he, he, he probably should have done. Mm -hmm. Like when he got into the team, he was something else. Like it it was his pace over two, three, three yards was amazing. But like, you kind of thought, right, he's going to go on and be the next Thierry on the way He started, but it didn't, he obviously had a brilliant career, but it didn't quite work out as what I expected it to. It's like, well,
3: well, Sven, Sven pulled him up to the England team for the world cup. And he's what? 16, 17, 17, right? 17. And hadn't played a game, barely played a game for Southampton at that point. And, you wonder how that did kind of stymie the development because the pressure on that kid's shoulders from that point onwards, right? It's like, wow, you're an England international at 17. Barely then, played like, a game.
4: But then you look at Wayne Rooney. Like Wayne Rooney is obviously just, he was playing, he scored that goal when he was 16 against Arsenal and he just went on, just didn't stop. Yeah. Obviously, he slowed down when he got to his 30s and he looked a little bit top-heavy. But when he was an unbelievable player from 16 to, to 30, 31. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's so, so tough to know, right? It's, it's the mental makeup as well, isn't it? Can you handle it? Yeah. And even Rooney, I mean, despite having that great career, he admits that it was tough going for him at that age. You know, the mm. pressure. He yeah, felt the pressure.
4: So, well, we, I got into the first team probably as a first-year pro, but I was I was in the same under-18s as Craig Bellamy and Adrian Forbes. Like they, they made their debut when they were 17. And it's, it's – well, at one point in one game, I think we finished with eight players from the same youth team. we were all first-year pros, so you, we're trying to keep the club up and got that sort of pressure on us. It's obviously a completely different pressure when you got when you're someone like David Beckham or Wayne Rooney, like that, that comes with a different level of pressure. But as a you know eighteen, nineteen-year-old trying to keep a club the size of Norwich up into stop and going into like League One, that's a lot of pressure. So you have to deal mm-hmm. with it. It's either sink or swim for some kids, and some of them do fall away because they've given it too too soon. But some obviously go on like Wayne Rooney does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah.
2: one of the things, isn't it, Darren? Really, with it, you just never know with some players until they actually yeah. deal with that pressure and whether they can handle it or not. And you really don't know until they they come across it.
4: Yeah, I mean, I've I've played with some top top players that should have gone on and done better, but. The pressure with uh, that comes with football, and, and nowadays, especially with all the social media, nowadays it's even more. So, it, it's, it's it's a tough life to to be uh, to live.
3: And I guess it's part of the agent's job nowadays to insulate that that player from the pressure, right? Which isn't so easy now because it's coming at them from all sides with social media, with the way the media is in general. It's yeah. just you, you can't escape it. It Used to be easier to play a game than then run off home, and you know you could be away from that side of things. But now. No one, unless you avoid social media. But who, what twenty-year-old kid avoids social media, right?
4: Uh, that's that, like I, I uh, messaged someone after a game, like for saying, you know, thanks for tickets, like, and he'd messaged me back within like five minutes, and he was in the dressing room. I'm like, well, surely the manager's giving you a bit of a talking to after that performance. But that, that's that's how they are now. They, they can't wait to get on social media to post a oh, great result today. By blah, blah blah, I'm like, well. Sure, just take a little break, like just relax yeah. a little bit, like let the game sink in, like whatever the result is. You shouldn't have to go straight to social media to to say anything to the fans. Like they've, they've obviously seen what's happened, so they don't need to be told again.
0: Darren, I got one more question about that. Talking about just how the, you know the agents and the managers really facilitate and kind of manage the the player's life now uh, to to a full extent. is there, um, is there is there like a mental health component to that um, as in obviously that these players, you know, have the sports psychologists at the teams, but is that also something within the agencies and the management side of things that is considered in part of the package too?
4: It's, uh I don't, we don't currently have anything like that, but like you said, the clubs, when I was obviously at Norwich, they had the under 18s uh, girl who was part, you know, who used to look after that side of it. Then you've got the two, like the club psychologists, so you have like uh, player care managers who obviously these kids are signing contracts at twelve years old, so this is a little bit different when when we were playing like you sign two hundred sixteen and then you go go to under eighteens These kids having to sign contracts every two years they're under pressure from under twelve to perform otherwise they won't get another contract to them for under fourteens and under sixteens and it's it's a lot to deal with, especially when you comes to retain and release when you've got to tell kid who's thirteen, forty years old, he's not getting another contract and you just you know, you're in there with his parents and he start to cry and it's like God I'm not I'm not built to try and deal with all this. So obviously <laughs> you just sort of like palm it, it off onto the um, player care. But it's it's good that they have that sort of thing, but like it's horrible having to deal with parents and kids and stuff like that with the pressures of, of modern day football.
0: Right. Player care, though. I like that term. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, was...
3: absolutely. Uh, well, listen, Darren, thanks so much, mate. Really interesting chat. And and Thank good you. luck uh, as you go towards your uh, license to become an agent. Um, whether you need it or not these days, I'm sure at some point you, you will. And we'd love to get back you back on the show at some point.
4: Thank you. Thanks for, come- thanks for having me. Cheers, Thank Kenton. You. Darren, Darren later,
3: Kenton. Hey, Jimmy, Craig, let me ask you guys. Do you stay in touch with your uh, your agents? Jimmy, let's start with you. Like, you know, your agent back when you... Was it one agent or do you have several agents when you are playing?
1: Uh, no, I had... Uh... I had Mark Curtis, who was my first agent uh, in the UK, and then I ended up going with the PFA. And then I, uh, I used Barry, Barry McLean over here for a short part. And then after, then I just did my own contracts because I was, was at that point where I didn't really need an agent towards the end.
3: Because you told them, you told TSC what you will take, and they will better damn sign it.
1: That's exactly what happened. Good. Hmm. (laughs) Then I I was out the next season
3: (laughs) (laughs) should have kept that agent eh? (laughs) still be playing Jeez, Craig you're Jonathan Barnett right and did you you stay in touch at all or with any of your agents
2: Um, I had done a little bit uh, his right hand man uh, David Manassi uh, kept in contact with him a little bit but for the most part you know they were Gareth Bale's agent right, and they had massive players and this is a thing where agents do have some issues and problems or because you do have these players that you do spend more time with because they're worth more money to you as agents and then you have the middle range and then you have the players that are maybe going to get a ne- next contract or maybe be released and then how do you do with that as an agent because they're going to be saying you got to find me a club where's my club we're gonna where am i gonna go and so different levels like that but overall no no not really i mean yeah. barnet uh Situation was quite unique uh, in a way that Harry Redknapp used certain manner, uh, certain agents, and yeah. I ended up signing with Barnett when I was at West Ham to, to get my second contract, and it, it worked out quite well. But uh, uh, a lot of inside stuff goes on with these agents and clubs and relationships with coaches, managers, yeah. you know things like that. There's a, it's a, it's a, it's a dirty business to be honest with you. And it's
1: uh, it's hard to clean up, like Darren said. It's it's going to continue. Yeah, the thing is, too, stacks is, you know, similar to what what Darren was saying. Like we, you didn't really have that close relationship with your agent, as what the players do today. Mm-hmm. Today they're very close, and they're you know the agents are all, they're constantly in touch, and and as these agencies are getting bigger and they're having they they provide more resources for the players, um, whereas back then we didn't have that. You just came in, the agent says here this is what you're getting, and take it. and We'll see you in two years when your contract's up. Mm-hmm.
0: That's what I was curious about when he was talking about you know managing the full players like life. Like uh, there's so much more to that than you know that could have been done of uh, twenty years ago. That, that you guys could have experienced an extension of the club, so um, that was interesting to hear him talk about the player care department within the clubs and that.
3: Yeah, I think we're all comfortable now working with uh, Dan Wong Limited as our representation on, on most things.
1: Yeah, no, he's he's been.
3: I'm not going to let him manage
0: my social media.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. No kidding. Stay no, away, longer.
0: don't no, drink twenty pints of Guinness. That's for sure. <laughs> Be all dick pics and take his phone. He's that guy. <laughs> He's that guy after three drinks. Take his phone away, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, our, our representation, Dan Wong, get his phone away from him. He's, it's okay. He can't even find it after three drinks.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good point, actually. I was I was happy to see he stop tweeting in the first quarter of that Raptors game.
3: Oh, yeah, they lost, didn't they? Yeah. Yes, they did. Boy, yeah.
1: right. They got pumped. They couldn't buy a basket at one point.
2: That 17-0 run in the yeah second half uh, is the turning point.
3: No no more court songs for Forrest in the next uh, <laughs> few weeks that's sad, sad, Maybe um Forrest was the problem, hey? Maybe Forrest is the reason that their season
0: tanked as much as did he's been he's been like tapping on that door, he's been showing up. Remember when they weren't letting anybody the building, but oh, there was Forrest, like only three hundred mm-hmm. people allowed, including the players, and, oh there's Craig
3: uh, yep. eating a prawn sandwich and drinking fifty dollar wine. Room. Post-post game. Well, who's the, who's the short guy in the corner with the black cap on? Oh, it's Forrest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, Again, great story, great story
0: about, about Forrest at the bar. So we're at the, the West Ham bar, and uh, the way it's built, you know, it's, it's got like this old kind of cabin feel, right? There's these the, the pillars are these big wooden pillars that you expect to see in some beautiful cabin or cottage. And there's a group of West Ham fans, and Craig had been yeah. with them. They took a photo or something, and they're all rallying and kind of yelling towards a corner that's out of my eyesight. And I'm thinking Craig must be in that corner. And I'm looking, and I can't see what they're all cheering about. And then the attention draws back to the other side of the bar, and I look, and I realize Forrest is standing next to one of these pillars, but he's the same size as this giant supportive pillar that I didn't even—I didn't see him. Just it was just like another pillar.
2: That's me. You're a giant red red support for this podcast. Been yeah, called a really? pillar a few times.
1: Yes, yeah, you have.
2: <laughs> <laughs> did That up. was a good day. That was a really good day. Other than the result, I thought there was a. That's for the Europa League game yesterday, right on Thursday. Yeah. So yeah. the West Ham supporters' club, uh, the Toronto Hammers, were there, and uh, it was great. It was really good. They were they were fantastic, and I would say that ninety five percent of them were actually originally from the area. You know, and then the rest of I them were. See, zero- well, I don't know if they weren't ICF. Well, no, they definitely weren't ICF. They weren't okay, like ICF. Which is is the a, inner- there is a
3: contingent in Toronto who who are clearly pr- uh, former ICF, mm-hmm. and they'll be happy to tell you about it
2: while looking yeah. through the back of your skull. Yeah, <laughs> the ICF, if anybody <laughs> doesn't know it, inner city firm. One um, guy
3: told me he'd burn my hair. I don't know what that means. He goes, I'm going to burn your hair, burn your hair. I didn't know what that meant, but I let Yeah, him you don't like
0: want to know. You don't want to know. Jimmy saved me from getting my ass kicked by some of those guys one night. Jimmy, do you remember that? It was probably the same night, Charms, that those guys told you they'd burn your hair. They wanted to, well, like, kick the shit out of me. Jimmy bought them pints and told me to leave. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? What was this? Was it recently? Where or when? No, this was a long time ago. Jimmy was still playing, I think.
3: Oh, really? Yeah, this was at, um... Oh, that's right,
1: yeah, you're right, Yes. I remember that. This yeah, was, was the, the, the football
3: factory. Remember the football factory, the bar at Bathurst and uh, I think Richmond, I think it was. I actually yeah. knew the owners. It was a great bar. I really enjoyed it there. But, well, I was there for – I think it must have been a West Ham game for some reason. And uh, a bunch of – there was a motley crew of West Ham supporters who, who mm-hmm. didn't take kindly to the fact that I was on TV. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that so I uh, – Same reaction that they gave me. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Whenever yeah. I see you on the fucking TV, I want to throw it out the fucking window. <laughs> right.
2: Oh. Nice to yeah, meet that's you that's West Ham Yeah, they're uh they're a serious uh, serious group.
3: Of course my mum says the same thing to me, so shouldn't take it too personally, I guess. Yeah. Um we should mention quickly uh Jürgen Klopp re-signs for, for an additional two years. And mm. Ralph Rangnick Austria head coach. That's when done. he's not a yeah, official, when he's not a uh, consultant for Manchester United. <laughs> Again, it doesn't look great, does it? <laughs> For United or for him? What do you mean? For, for United. I don't blame him doing it at all. It's like they have, they, they've been championing this role for him when he finishes as manager, mm-hmm. and clearly he's, he's, he won't be 100% focused on that club. He's got another job as well now. I just think, I mean, it's just, I, I get this happens now and again, consultancies, whatever. It's not that big a deal, but it's just given what's happened the last number of months at United, Again, it looks like something that wasn't really well thought through when when they first hired him.
2: It's true. It's true. I think you've got that right. I think it's just chaos in every way. And I, I don't even think that anybody wants to be a part of it really at this stage, to be honest with you. And then you got Klopp on the other hand, you got Liverpool there playing incredible football the managers' done an incredible job he gets another couple of years you know it's everything looks rosy at, uh, at Liverpool and you go back you know just a few years ago it wasn't that way at Liverpool remember there you know everybody they need a goalkeeper they need center backs we need this that and the other they they couldn't you know they were conceding poor goals and and that's all changed and uh, klaus well, because part of, that. of- Hmm.
3: You know, let me look up quickly here, guys. Um, I looked at, you can cross first 11 when you first took over.
0: Here. You got to read out uh, the first 11? God, they've done a lot. Um, quick point yeah, on Ranić while well, you look that up. Um, that's what made this whole Ranić thing so weird, though, Right him being brought in and um, you know, to run out the rest of the season and then he'd work as a consultant for two years. And obviously he's, you know, a a player with a certain, or excuse me, a a manager with a certain eye for coaches and wants a certain style. But to me, it was like, unless it was going to be Michael Carrick or someone that was, you know, a new young manager being promoted that would want to, you know, work under his stewardship. I didn't see how that was going to work at all. And it seemed immediately that people thought, you know, you can't go the Ollie route again. You can't repeat that. So, Rennick from the beginning was always such a weird setup. It was weird. It, it, was it, it, weird. Just, it was just him being an agent, it seemed like. You were just going to you know, get someone that he could have conversations with in the hiring process that United and the, the, you know, the Glazers and whoever was running the ship and
3: having those conversations previously couldn't have. They, they, I think they, they gave Oli way too much of a leash. They, they thought he was the man too early. And then by the time they figured out he wasn't the right guy, most guys, the top dudes were out already with jobs. Um, whereas you look at a Chelsea who realise, man, Frank's not working out, but Thomas Tuchel's available mm-hmm. right now. We have to fire Frank now to get Tuchel. They did it and it worked out really well. Same thing with Klopp. All those years ago now, Liverpool, you know, coming out of that previous regime with Hicks and Gillette, it was a disaster. They brought back with new ownership to steady the ship. The minute Klopp's available, let's get this guy now. We must do it. They got him. City with Pep, the same thing. They they courted him for years. The minute he said mm, okay, uh, let's talk, they grabbed
2: him. United have not done that. Well, you could argue that they they have charms. I mean, after Moyes at Van Hal, the, then they're oh, well, now Mourinho's got to be you know you get Mourinho. There you go. We're we're, we're set. We're we're set. He's going to take us to that uh, the promised land. And one manager after another has uh, failed to do so. So you have to look at you know, other things other than managers and coaches. It's not just... But, but
3: Chelsea out. Chelsea yeah. backed Tuchel, right, um, to a certain degree. The Reds have backed Klopp. I'm not sure United ever backed Mourinho. I mean, they, they should have known what the guy wanted from a transfer perspective when they first signed. And then perhaps there were unrealistic demands, but they must have known. And, and he's a guy that demands a certain type of player. He didn't get those players.
1: Van Hall was... Yeah, but, uh, hmm? I think I think as well, you know, the, the player's got to take an awful lot of responsibility and, and i just don't think over the last number of years the culture has been good in that dressing room that menu you know obviously at chelsea it's, it's a different culture you know a new manager comes in and things are going really well for them and they're, they're playing a good brand of football where at man united it's just it's it's been an absolute gong show for the last what seven years it's it's been a mess and now you've got a manager that's going to go take over austria And then he's going to consult for Man United at the same time? Yeah. It's it's a mess. And I don't know if you guys saw saw the tweet where – I think it was Gary Lineker. And it says the fans are holding up a sign saying Glazer's out. Well, the guy that was holding the R and the guy that was holding the Z are swapped. And he goes, this just, sum- this just sums up Man United. They can't even get the name right.
3: <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, they'll they'll sort it out eventually, right? And maybe Eric Ten Hag's the solution there. But I mean, it goes so far above him, I think even as well. And the fans, it's so, it's so toxic, that club from the fans down, right? They just want those guys out so much. But why would they ditch? Why would the Glazers sell? Don't need to. It's their personal little cash box right now. They're not at games. They don't care. They're freaking living in the States. I think if Sad, you're Eric...
0: If you're Eric Ten Hag and you look at it, obviously there was conversations about, you know, how much control he would have. And we all suspected that there would be, you know, a move out for Renick at some point. And I think this is the way to do it. Like, yeah, he consults, but he's not in the office every day. Maybe that was a condition from Ten Hag. Like, look, I don't want to see this guy every day. I'll have conversations with him and, <laughs> and, you know, consult and we'll take his advice. But he's not going to be in my ear. He's not going to be giving me team selection notes. I could see why someone like that would, you know want to put himself in that situation and make sure that he has control in that situation. And he can also look at other guys like Jose and be like, huh, how bad can it get? I'll still get three jobs out of this. If I get booted out of here in two and a half seasons.
3: Yeah. And he's got two in those two and a half seasons, right? He's got Roma yeah. and Spurs. Maybe I can win the UEFA conference league. Yeah.
0: You never know. Or, I'm going- I was going to say, maybe he can go into politics. Did you hear this this week? I was going to send no. this out before we, before we'd booked Darren. I thought, Oh, we could have a good conversation with this. Tony Blair's former press chief wrote this big piece in the British equivalent of The Economist. I forget what the publication was. (laughs) But I forget what the guy's name was, Alistair something. Anyway, he he wrote this whole piece about Jurgen Klopp, how politics needs more Jurgen Klopp types. So I thought we could pick a -a five-a-side team of managers that would make the best politicians. Oh, that's good. So we don't. Like if that. you want to have a think, we can do this in the next show. But I was thinking we do a five aside of managers that would fit okay. these political cabinet positions, right? So that's what I thought the top five would be: prime minister, deputy prime minister, and let's be honest, and can you know think about Dick Cheney and vice president? The vice president kind of really controls mm-hmm. it more. So prime the prime minister is the the better speaker and the looking face, right? But there's a lot of power behind the scenes with the uh, with the deputy prime minister or the vice president, minister of defense, a speaker of the house because of speaker course speaker of the house and a, and a minister of foreign affairs because football is such a global game so actual politicians which managers okay. we think would suit best okay. I notice. love
3: this idea let's 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 do this next Wednesday because we'll try now it'll be terrible because you know we're not that smart but your job B is to remind <laughs> us on Tuesday because I'll have forgotten by then yeah, I love I this like concept it. I like it's it. great yeah. it's great alright so all political level, uh, five five aside okay <laughs> Brilliant. Um, back to Klopp. So that they're his first 11. Okay, let me ask you guys how many of these players in, in the squad on his first match in charge of Liverpool are still there? How many? And if you can name them, you'll get a, a Footy Prime, the podcast mug. Okay, Craig? Um,
2: Milner, Robertson. Both right backs, right or left back, right back were there, weren't they, Roberson? No, nope, uh, no, nope, that is incorrect.
1: Correct. No, it probably really? would have been
2: in the senior, not in the
3: senior squad at that time. Really, Roberson was a club signing. So Milner, Henderson, yeah, Hendo, yeah, not uh-huh. no, yeah. You're right. He was there, but not in this first squad, though he wasn't. So, but you're right. He was at the club still. Match day squad. I'm, I'm talking about here.
1: So you're talking about his first match he's he ever played.
3: Yeah, Hindo was still was, was there, you're right, but he was uh, injured.
0: First Liverpool match that Jurgen Klopp managed. We're, mm-hmm. we're trying to name the, any of the 23.
1: That are yep. still They're, there right now.
0: Still there. I, I, there's got to be less than f- five guys. Yeah, there is. Um, the Ox? No. No. I, I, it's funny, though. I thought that as well because it seems like he's been with Klopp for a long
3: time. It does, yeah. Yeah. But he's probably only played twenty games. Probably four, in yes, five probably seasons. four years now, right? I guess. Probably about four years. He's been there for six. Okay, so there were two players in that opening match day squad. I and won, uh man. Craig had James Milner. hmm And the second one, any any one wanna guess? Striker. Origi. Yeah. There you go. Oh wow. Ivo oh. Ivo the Karigi. eleven was in goal. Simone Mignolet. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Nathaniel Klein at fullback, Martin Skrull and Mamadou Sacco at centre-backs, Alberto Moreno at left-back, Lucas, Emre Chan and Milner in the mid, and it's Phil Coutinho, Adam Lallana and Origi. Wow. It's amazing. And eh? On the bench, Adam Bogdan, Colo Torre. I forgot Colo was there. What a legend he was at Anfield. Yeah. Loved him. Didn't play that much, but loved him anyway. Connor Randall, Joe Allen. Remember he was there? Jordan Ibe. That's great. Right. Jean Teixeira and Jerome Sinclair. So look at that team. And it's, it's not a horrible team. It's, it's a top eight team. They finished eighth that first season with him. But compared to what he's done now, a guy that has such influence on the transfers, he really mm-hmm. is transformative figure at that club and to get two more years he says it's because we're in the middle of something really special right now that's why plus his missus loves living there is <laughs> a big part of it too but uh yeah i mean wow i mean probably the most important sign in that club's made in, in jesus 30 years right oh i say 30 years is uh Jurgen club well all, there's
0: all these factors right you guys can speak to it you know your family's got to be happy your kids are in good schools you got a good house you got a great dentist in Klopp's case, like, he's not going to leave his dentist.
1: <laughs> Where
2: the hell else would he go? Optometrist. Hey. Yeah. Hairstylist. Yeah. Him and, uh, him and Firmino, same dentist. Actually, I think they're the same teeth. They, 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 you never well, they see them in the same
1: show at the same time, do you? What, a- what do you think they have for breakfast? Sugar cubes and oats? <laughs> <laughs> there's that.
0: Uh-huh. So there's. There's a great sto- story that I read because they all do use the same guy. His nickname is Dr. Anfield. And Phil Coutinho was the first one. So it started with the Brazilians and then Klopp showed up and they all go to this same guy. This guy must not have any other patients. He just does Liverpool. Like do Brazilians Philiated have people. bad
3: teeth as, as a whole? I don't well, know. If you live in the
0: favelas, you're
2: probably not best. getting the best dentist.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: But I meant it was the Brazilian guys that went. You know, it's a uh, top end, high end teeth. Uh, some yeah. some people spend their you, money on watches and cars, and some people spend their money. Well, mouth.
1: You, you do a, you do have a club dentist. I remember I remember when I was at Forest, and we every year you had to go to the the dentist, right, just to make sure everything was all, all right, because they said a lot of issues do come from from your mouth and that. You so I go to the dentist. We didn't know that. Just the chewing tobacco. It's no. the chewing tobacco. We
3: didn't know. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> yeah, it's a Scandinavian chew, Jimmy no.
1: Jesus. No. <laughs> That was once in a while you'd do that. But so we go to, I go to the dentist and uh, I'm getting a checkup. And they're like, okay, yep, no problem. Teeth are all right. And blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking to the right here and they've got this, like all these, uh, like gels and all this kind of I So what's, what's all this? And I said, oh, well, toothpaste. What do is, no. I said, well, <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, he, goes, what this is, he goes, these are the new teeth whiteners. I said, really? The new teeth whiteners? He goes, yeah. I like, can I have one? And he goes, yeah, it should be fine because the club's paying for everything. So, yeah, it should be fine. So, we get these – we all get the uh, the mouth guards with the gels. We had the whitest teeth you've ever seen in the football league by far. <laughs> the manager comes in three weeks later with like the <laughs> chief, chief executive. What the fuck is going on here? Look at this dentist bill, <laughs> you guys! You guys are all going out getting getting your teeth whitened, polished, shine. It's costing this club a goddamn fortune. Our teeth were immaculate, and all we were supposed to do is just go there, get a little check, up, make sure no cavities. Right? We're all getting our teeth done, all white. Boy, I tell you what.
3: Wow, before the, Liverpool, AC, it was you, you it was guys. The, it was the AC Milan had that famous um, sports science department. And I forget what coach it was, but they they were the first club to determine that you can tell so much from the teeth and from the jaw of a player, and how dental hygiene and, and the correct teeth is really important for player health. And they make some correlation with teeth and injuries. That this what's it called that that the sports science at AC Milan? It's it's know all this shit. It's a, it's renowned. It's so, so famous. But yeah, and they would actually when they're transferring or, or thinking about signing a player, they
1: look into his dental records.
3: They yeah, can tell a true. lot from
1: a player. That's true. Hmm. You could have uh, bad heart issues as, as well. Really? And, is that what it is? Yeah. Because what happens is uh, the poison everything drops out of your gums and down into your system. And so, so-,
2: so when Wayne Rooney moved to Man United, how did they get around that? Yeah, it wasn't AC Milan, was it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. But that explains that you're looking for the correlation of
3: Liverpool's success. It's not Klopp. It's Dr. Anfield. It's the dentist. Yeah, exactly. I think right. it was actually Capello when he yeah. got to England, the England okay. job. He, he banned ketchup from the cafe, and he was enforcing players must chew a certain number of times for each mouthful, whatever the number is, 32 times, so they could digest the food better, which, yeah. yeah. So it's
1: a thing, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. See, that bothers me because well. yeah. if, if I go out for dinner, I cannot eat with slow people. No, me neither. It drives me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to take a little bite, chew forty-five times, and I know. Like, and they put the fork. Off. Then they put the forks down. I'm like, no, no, come on, keep going. And then, and then you're finished early, and they're still eating. It's like, well, now what do I do? And then the food's cold, and you're going, "Well, how how are you enjoying this right now?" Yeah. that's why
2: Gareth Bale got your place, because he used to chew forty-five times.
1: <laughs> it's going to chew and and I just and I would just shovel it in, <laughs> inhale. <sighs>
3: Yeah. All right, guys. Well, um, we were going to do 40 picks, weren't we, on, on Friday's show? But we're at almost an hour. What do you think? You want to do it very quickly? Sure. You've got the lines there, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. So, uh, you know, actually, let's do – okay. These are interesting. Uh, Pick Sunday games. games. Okay, Sunday games, sure. That's a good idea. All right, Sunday's games, matches. Here we go. And then i have been on fire lately, by the way. You're getting the right score lines, too. It's amazing. mm all right, May the first is Sunday, right? All right, is one for you. Everton, Chelsea at Goodison Park, the early game, one well, nine o'clock game on Sunday. Everton against Chelsea. Um, Chelsea had their flip flops on. You think Everton are just absolutely desperate, coming off that derby last week, they looked pretty good in the loss? Craig, what are you mm-hmm. thinking? Read us the lines. Uh, one one. Gambling loans. I, I haven't got them here. I'm going one one. For who? <laughs> <laughs> I think that
1: one one. Okay. All right. Yeah. Jimmy? Uh I'm gonna say two one Chelsea.
0: I was gonna mm. say that as well. I'll go e- two nil Chelsea.
1: Two nil Chelsea? Okay. So it's Everton- an early game. It's
2: an early game. I don't like that so much from Chelsea's point of view. I think they do have their eyes on different things. I think there'll be some changes in the lineup. I yeah, I just I don't know. It's early for us. It's 2 p.m. for them. It's normal.
0: Is its is it 2 p.m.? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a 9 o'clock game. So mm-hmm. oh. no, it's 2 p.m. for them.
1: Yeah. So they're an hour less than what they normally are.
3: The yeah, it's not much, is it? <laughs>
1: it's not much. No. <laughs> All right. right. No, I
3: <laughs> have to UX. I'm going to still go for 1-1. One, one. Does anyone think that Everton will survive at this point, or are they your picks Ooh, to go boy, down oh, now? Boy. Oh, wow. High-flying Burnley. Um
0: I don't know. I, I just feel like if you, if you look at the two of them, who's going to get the magic needed at the last minute? And I think about Bournemouth and Villa. And, you know, there's one goal, right, that kept Villa up that yep. uh, first pandemic season. And I just think that in this similar situation, I would bet on Everton having Lady Luck that day. So I have a tough time thinking that they're going to go down. And Burnley will do enough to stay up. Here's your thing,
3: though, B. I mean, Everton's two points back at Burnley, but they have the game in hand, right? Mm-hmm. But Burn- <laughs> Everton's Everton's uh, run of games, yeah, schedule is, it? Is, is, is nightmarish. you got Chelsea this weekend, Leicester, yeah. Watford, huge game. Brentford's tough, Palace, and then Arsenal to end the season. So, okay, let's say it's a nightmare. <laughs> it isn't really, is it? But there's some tough ones in there. They're all tough for, for Everton. Yeah. But that last game at Arsenal, it could come down to that.
2: It could. I wonder. It, it's always odd at the end of the season too, and if you know teams pick up points in the yeah, strangest true. ways because of situations of other clubs that would be playing differently at that time, or other European trophies that they're still playing for, so that changes the squad. Yeah, it's a it's a bizarre time of the year that uh, can help. Yeah, yeah. And if so, Arsenal to- have
0: secured fourth, or they're out of that fourth place race, Arsenal by that point,
3: mm-hmm. then I would back Everton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. well yeah. Burnley, Burnley are up against Watford this weekend yeah. right? That's Their schedule
1: massive. seems a little bit Villa, they've got Spurs
3: in, in the middle of May Which is the toughest one they got Villa, penultimate game And then they close the season at home against Newcastle So if it comes down to last week Burnley at home against Newcastle Or Everton up against Arsenal at Arsenal I know where I'm putting my money But we'll mm-hmm. see We can guess and prognosticate all we like bottom line is it's going to go down to the wire and it's really yeah. exciting it is it's great all right that's long enough for free picks we'll 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 work on that and we'll get odds for next week uh, wonger is usually the guy doing this for us and he's just where is you're, you're at wonger's place craig where is wonger
2: i don't know he's probably definitely sleeping, sleeping. Oh, oh, definitely probably. sleeping off that hang yeah, yeah he had a 10-hour session yesterday so oh did he was it a good one Yeah. Well, we started with the West Ham game and then the (laughs) Jays were playing and then the Raptors game and we didn't leave until two hours after that game ended. (laughs) (laughs) Are are you now comfortable
3: telling the the listeners that you're at the dog and bear and and that, you know, you're concerned about mentioning it before the match because the thousands that descend upon the pub? our fans. I just wanted
0: to make were sure we, flying could get in. A, we could get a table. You know, I didn't want to be standing out, outside looking through the window. Uh, many situations I've been in like that, horrible.
3: Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Not something that Craig or Jimmy would know anything about, no. being A-listers. Anyway, guys, we're out of time. That was a fun show. We're back on Sunday slash Monday morning, looking back on the weekend that was, uh, which is a much better name, by the way, than then Wonga's name for that podcast but that's for a, a conversation for a different show wait mm-hmm. you've changed the the titles here no 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 we're st- no we're, we're sticking with Wonga's cuz I, I just i just don't like it <laughs> okay well it, again it's like um it's um this just in this just in yeah like this just but we're talking about games happening on Saturday.
1: why don't, don't we just in? why don't we call it, it why don't we call it it's all gone Wong. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <That's-> <laughs> Because that's going to be the name of his own show, his own interview show, right? He's, it's he's all gone wrong.
1: <laughs> with Dan
3: <laughs> like what with Yan? <laughs> Amazing. All right, may i mean, I'm pretty sure actually Stephen Yan had an apron that said "It's all gone wrong" at some point. I'm sure he did back in that great show back in the uh, in the 90s and 80s. All right, fellas, have a good weekend, everyone, and we'll chat to you real soon. Later's.
1: Even on a budget.